Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, January 27th. Today we're going to start by talking about how to detect deception, and I'm uh, going to put deception in air quotes, and we'll explain why in a second. And then we're going to give a real-life example of detecting it in an investment with IBM's Q4 call transcript. So, Chris, let me set the stage a little bit. Management teams invariably are going to paint a super rosy picture for their companies. Uh, There are a variety of reasons they have to do so. And it's really an investor's job to kind of read through the super rosy picture that management's painting and be a little more critical. Uh, And today we're going to talk about how you can pick up on that kind of deception in those super rosy statements. And why don't you start by talking about why we put deception in quotes? Sure. Um, as listeners may or may not know, we've both been uh, doing some training recently yep. in evasion and deception. Uh, my kids know this, and one of them told the other that I can see the truth in their eyes. My daughter reacts by closing her eyes whenever <laughs> I look closely at her to inquire about subjects she doesn't want to talk about. Um, I think that we want to lower the drama a little yep. bit, to say we're not talking about a courtroom situation where we look at one of our managers and say, you lie yeah. uh, frequently. Uh, it happens, you, but not that much. You hear deception and people immediately jump to fraud, right. bankrupt, everything going crazy. And it can be that, but for the most part, it's not. It's as simple as kind of, honey, do I look fat in, this, in these jeans? And you say, no, you look great. Chris, do every, not answer that for me. Every, every, every few years, we will find a dramatic case. Yes. Uh, every few hours, we're looking at a less dramatic case. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's uh, just to define terms, uh, defining the relationship. I would say that... Uh, uh, the, the job in the public square, we're trying to be rational. We're mm-hmm. trying to uh, build a case for or against an investment. And by uh, uh, the standards of computer logic, say by the standards of are the premises and conclusions perfectly matched, uh, everybody is always somewhat evasive and deceptive, including to themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're obviously going to mention IBM. And IBM's management team, if they came out and they said, listen, like, Amazon is just a way better company than us. We think they're great. Their products are destroying ours. Like, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. It's kind of trending that way. But if they said it, it would be a disaster for the company, right? It, you have to kind of go out with a brave face just to maximize the value of everything. Or else you're... Just terrible. Go ahead. And and what we're talking about is anything that separates you from a honest, rational conclusion uh, and all of the vagaries and all the subtleties that that uh, can uh, entail. Uh, It's reasonable to expect agents want to be promotional. Uh, You and I want to be analytical. We want to get at the truth and want to nudge everything towards that uh, in our analysis. So I'll give a quick example. Say that I ran a chocolate business and somebody asked me how chocolate sales were going to do in the next quarter. Uh, I might know that chocolate sales aren't looking great, but instead of saying something like, oh, chocolate sales are terrible, I might say something like, well, as you know, Chris, we launched our new line of chocolate-covered pretzels last month, and we think we're seeing a great response from consumers. I didn't tell a lie. Mm-hmm. I, everything I said might have been true, but it doesn't change the fact chocolate sales are down, and I didn't mention that. One of my favorite teachers on this topic uh, professionally does, uh, she calls it elicitation, but most people would think of her as an interrogator, <laughs> uh, and uh, has taught me uh, my interview techniques. Uh, she says that 
telling the truth is like picking a product off a shelf. It's a pretty simple process. You just refer to your memory and say, no, it wasn't a good quarter. (laughs) Uh, You frequently, uh, in fractions of a second after the question, can blurt out some manifestation of the truth. Frequently it's yes or no. Uh, was it a good quarter? Did you murder that person? Are you about to commit some atrocity? No. You, you frequently blurt out truth. Uh, lies have to simultaneously do very complex things. Uh, they have to remember what the truth is, remember the lie they want, and often at the same time look to the questioner accuser mm-hmm. to try to create something that's somewhat believable. Uh, as an analyst, I and you can exacerbate the difficulty that they have in using evasion and deception. So why don't we uh, go back and forth and we'll give some of the kind of common signs of deception. Mm -hmm. And obviously podcasts, so we can't give visual cues, but there are some very common verbal signs that you can get. And I'll let you take the first one. Who are you to ask me a question (laughs) like that? Somebody of your age and experience, like you should honestly, I mean, you don't know what it's like to be me and I am not (laughs) going to answer your question or uh, do what you ask. So that is... That's one. I didn't expect it to come like that. But uh, frequently, if someone's about to lie or evade, they'll, instead of responding to the question, they attack the questioner, as Chris just did. Uh, so you attack the questioner. You question their uh, you question their reputation. You question their intelligence. Or you might kind of mock them by saying, like, well, Chris, you know, in our industry, everyone knows that utilization is the most important metric. So there I've kind of put him down and said he doesn't know what's going on in the industry. Yeah. By God. I swear, (laughs) on a stack of Bibles, Korans, kind of stack up whatever religious uh, drama it tends to be. So going with kind of over-the-top modifiers and describers, and there's also the inverse where you go with very non-committal words. I guess, I feel, we think. Both of those are frequently signed that someone's about to lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, You want to take the next? Sure. Uh, One that I find is... uh, extreme specificity truth tellers actually are comfortable not being that factual yes uh what did i do today uh, given that it was all legal i might skip over huge swaths of it it's not that important but if what i did this morning was rob a bank i usually am kind of anal and weirdly chronological i woke up at five o'clock I had breakfast. I worked out. Like these are it's, it's kind of a kind of verbal diarrhea. Yep, yep. Uh, let's see. I'll take a, another one. So a great one is somebody asks you, you know, are you still for an investor? Are you still maintaining your your full year guidance? And instead of saying yes, you'll say, well, as we said in the press mm-hmm. release, as we said uh, in our prepared remarks. So referring to a previous statement because then you're not lying on the spot you're just referring to something else huge negative sign most people really like to protect their own dignity and Mm -hmm. in their own mind most con men to use an extreme example and even most people who are fudging they would like to be able to go to bed at night saying I just said what I'd said before. Uh, So they're, in a sense, not compounding it uh, as opposed to a very simple direct answer. And and that's actually a great point. A lot of the reason all these deception things are on here is because people very rarely tell direct, complete lies. Mm -hmm. These are little ways that they can avoid technically lying. Mm -hmm. Technically, they told the truth, even though it's clearly not what people are looking for. And I'm just going to run through uh, the last two real quick because they were both kind of in the chocolate example Mm -hmm. I gave. 
starting a question by saying, that's a great question or that's a great question, Chris. Mm -hmm. Building rapport and kind of complimenting the person so that they don't think too critically. And giving yourself time. Yeah, and giving yourself time to think, absolutely. And then the last one is the chocolate example. I didn't actually answer the question. I gave you a Mm -hmm. bunch of things, but none of them were the answers to the question. Uh, All of those are signs that you're not lying, not answering the question. Hoping you'll time out. Um, I think that as it relates to companies writing, just one last thing I can squeeze in here, hopefully, is baselining. If you want to understand humans are different, people have different tendencies, both in verbal and nonverbal communication. So if you want to know the veracity of a company's written material, you have to read annual reports and SEC filings yep. going way back because a given statement might be uninteresting in isolation. A statement such as, I have a line of credit. That's not that interesting. But if the last five years said, I have a line of credit that I don't think I need. Yep. And you simply remove that phrase, it goes from uninteresting to super interesting. Uh, One of the big things I love to do is when I'm looking at a company, I'll read kind of their last four earnings calls Mm -hmm. just all right in a row. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times if you just read one, nothing would pop out. But when you read all four, something like that pops out like – Oh, they for three quarters in a row, they talked about how hugely successful they thought their breakfast product was going to be. And then this quarter it launched and they didn't mention it once. Like, that's a pretty big sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to move on to why we chose IBM and IBM. But before we get there, let me just uh, quick, quick request. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you already subscribe, please rate us, uh, preferably highly, highly if you like us. But if you don't like us, that's okay, too. Uh, we've gotten a great response from people rating us so far, and that's really what's going to make us keep this podcast going. And if you've already rated us and subscribed, please share us with a friend. Uh, okay, so Chris, IBM. Why did we choose IBM? Aside from the fact they had a great example. <laughs> well, uh, IBM, you chose IBM, so maybe I should put that That's question right. back at you. <laughs> the but royal be- way. Before, before I put that right back at you, I would say that Buffett, their largest shareholder, is yep. somebody I think we both admire a great deal. Yep. We talked about and, him a couple uh, weeks and, ago. And, and, I'm not sure we got this in our last podcast we talked about him. That I think it's even fair to say that he is a hero of mine. Yep. But this is an example of why uh, I do not believe, and I suspect Buffett doesn't believe in hero work. Worship. Mm-hmm. We think for ourselves, and in this case, we are not on the same side here. So we 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 have no position in IBM one way or another. To make that clear, uh, but Buffett he started buying IBM shares a couple years ago at two hundred. The shares are kind of at one hundred twenty dollars right now. So clearly lost money there. Uh, but another a couple of reasons we chose it was it's a favorite of kind of the old school value mm-hmm. crowd. IBM it's uh, their PE is eight, which is very cheap. It has a four percent dividend yield. They buy back some shares. And kind of, if you just read their press releases and presentations and take them at face value, you would think the company is doing a lot better than they uh, than they actually are. Their press releases always highlight, you know, revenue adjusted for divestures and constant currency was up. They don't ever adjust for acquisitions. They highlight, they do a lot of rosy stuff to cover over the fact the stock is kind of down 16% versus the S&P 500 up 60% over the past five years. I'm anticipating a punchline only in that I don't think I've ever seen you describe something's PE and dividend yield as a dispositive reason why you would do something. So So, I I don't think we've done the conversation at this point. Okay. So I'm going to read the example and obviously Mm -hmm. you can find this online or somewhere, but this is from from their Q4 earnings call. It's the second question they were asked. It's from, uh, I believe it's Tianxin, an analyst at JP Morgan. And he asked the CFO uh, if growth in services backlog that they had in 2015, he wants to know if that will result in an improvement in services revenue growth in 2016. And I'm going to quote the answer. 
Thanks, TNCN. So a couple of comments and I'll disaggregate. I guess I'll talk about GTS and GBS separately. So first, we did, as we said in our prepared remarks, we finished with a very good backlog growth of 1% X currency. Now that is 121 billion book of business. So even 1% growth is a lot of additional business that we feel quite good about the backlog. We're entering with, and even when we look at the signings progress throughout the year, for the full year GTS, Global Technology Services, grew signings, and GBS grew signings, and in fact, GBS exited fourth quarter with double-digit signings growth in the quarter. So a very strong return to growth, which puts them into growth for the year. So from a backlog perspective and from a relevance of our offerings perspective, I think those signings numbers suggest that there are substantial deals out there. There are deals that play well to our our high-value view and our ability to move our clients into hybrid environment and our ability to continue to grow, to continue to grow that backlog. So, Chris, I, I've kind of highlighted a lot of them, but uh, there were obviously a ton of signs that there was something he was trying to avoid. Why don't you start with a couple? He certainly didn't say yes or no. Um, exactly. I, At no point does he just no. – this could be a simple question. Yes, services will grow in 2016. Well, uh, let me just blurt out one, which is we have a list of specific things that came up here. But the overall force of this is it sounded like uh, uh, a filibuster. It sounded like yeah. he was trying to get to the end of the call. I believe in this call he also cut off the live mic of the questioner. I don't think he was looking for a follow-up question here. Yeah, I think IBM, one of the things they do is you get one question and no follow-up questions. Uh, that's a company policy that I would say is pretty poor, but – uh, that that's maybe a comment for a different day. It's, it's kind of like yep. if you can uh, compensate for truth with the quantity of words, <laughs> that there's some exchange ratio. But that's one thing that often uh, shows deception, right? You keep saying something until you settle on the way you want to say it, and you feel like it's something the person will accept without follow-up. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple others. Why don't you go ahead? Uh, calling the analyst by name, you know, both trying to help time out and create this rapport yep. unrelated to the answer. Yep. So there's that. Uh, let's see. Uh, there was in there, you might have caught, as we said in our prepared remarks, mm-hmm. referring to the prepared remarks. Um, you know, going to the positive backlog uh, growth, uh, which is uh, not the uh, question he was asked, looking kind of at the past tense in terms of the yep. instead of the future tense. Uh, in a more dramatic case, in one of the classes I took, and I think you took as well, uh, interviewing a uh, uh, somebody who'd committed a crime yeah. talking about his victim in the past tense even before she'd been discovered yep uh you know kind of five minutes after his <laughs> wife walked out the door every comment he made after that was in the past tense uh, this was the case here so obviously too. there's no real victim here but no, yeah fair enough uh, I, I think there's also a lot of kind of superfluous adjectives in here so 121 billion dollar book of business just think about mm-hmm. how big that is mm-hmm. uh there are things like very strong return to growth a lot of additional bookings, substantial deals out there. So kind of throwing a lot of extraneous words that don't really mean anything. I, I think it's bad English. But the other thing about lots of adjectives and adverbs is it's sort of trying to push you over the line to believe me. If I'm just telling you something that's true, uh, if I say, watch out, uh, you're about to bang your head. I, I hope you listen to the extent that you want to, but the truth is about to expose itself one way or another. I don't need to dramatize it. It's, it's precisely when the truth isn't there to back me up that I need to use these kind of over-the-top language. And, you know, one thing I'm, I'm thinking about as we say this, one of the things with deception is, uh, and you mentioned it where you need to compare th- things that are la- everything that they've said in the past. One, one example of these is not a sign of deception, right? If I say I guess in a sentence, it doesn't mean that I'm lying. 
What when it's really applicable is when you see a lot of these signs all within a tight cluster. Clusters. So what really kind of picks out to me is just in the first sentences, thanking the person by name for the question, referring to a previous statement, uh, not answering the question by referring to backlog growth instead of growth in service revenues in 2016. It's all really jumping out right in the beginning of the uh, thing. Uh, so that's kind of why it stuck out to me. And there are examples through it all throughout the call, but this is one that really jumped out. I thought it was a great company to talk about. Mm-hmm. Chris, anything else here? Um, that's it from IBM. Um, yeah. uh, do we have another minute here or are we about done? Uh, I think we're pretty much done. 16.30. I think we're breaching our 15 minutes. Could, could Quickly? I a, yeah, a, go for a it. sentence or two here? Which I think that if you are an analyst, the thing to look for is – managements that are under a lot of pressure, especially things that are near term and they're really responsible for, but they don't really have the ability to improve Mm -hmm. where you'll find a lot of fraud. And if you are a manager yourself or if you are a um, operator or looking at your family, uh, my uh, ideal case in terms of how to unwind this environment is having a culture that is casually, constantly, and comfortably uh, expectant of mistakes. Yep. That you just say, we have an environment to bring this out, and you're not going to get fired. You're not going to get belittled. Uh, we talk about mistakes because we all make them constantly. Yeah. So where it happens is, in general, kind of this is more going into fraud than deception. But yeah. in general, where it happens is, it starts off as a little thing, and then you have to keep building on the little things. So maybe the management felt pressure to make numbers for one quarter, mm-hmm. but then they had to build a bigger lie to make numbers for the next quarter, and it kind of snowballs from there. In the same way, a child, if they, if you ask, did you eat this chocolate? If they feel okay to say yes, then it's fine. But if they feel pressured that they can't, they can't tell the truth. They're going to have to keep building bigger and bigger lies. Mm-hmm. Great. So, yeah, I, I think I hope that's a kind of an inside look at how we think critically about companies. For everyone, I know it's a little different than what we've done for the most part. But again, if you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We'll be back with another one next week. Uh, and if you already subscribed, please rate us. And if you've already rated us, please share us with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.